listening to a podcast from St. Benedict's Table, a congregation of the Anglican Church of Canada, located in Winnipeg, Manitoba. And may the words of my mouth and the meditations of all of our hearts be acceptable and pleasing in your sight, O God, for you are our strength and our Redeemer. Amen. When Jesus saw the crowds, he went up the mountains, and after he sat down, his disciples came to him. Then he began to speak and taught them, saying, Blessed are the sick, including this preacher. That's me. (laughs) Okay, Jesus didn't actually say that, but he could have, right? Um, Regardless, I want to apologize in advance, especially to anyone listening on the podcast, for any excessive sniffling or coughing during this sermon. Today, in part because I have been sick all week and have been struggling to think clearly, and also because I admire their work, I will be relying heavily on insights from Paul Fromberg, Herb Kopp, and Mark Scandrett. The lectionary has us hanging out in the book of Matthew for the next little while. In the earlier chapters of the Gospel, Matthew carefully introduces us to Jesus, giving us his genealogy and telling us the stories of Christ's birth, baptism, temptation, and early ministry. Now, in chapter 5, he shifts from telling us stories about Jesus to recording Jesus' words with little or no commentary. In this section of the Gospel, Jesus will lay out his message, his mission, and his call to all of us as his disciples. Now, what was the world like at this time? It was a world that was anchored in politics, and people's lives were controlled by a political reality over which they had little or no control. Sound at all familiar? It was a world where politics, economics, and religion were all intertwined into a single system. It was a world dominated by the Roman Empire, an empire that viewed human beings as commodities. It was a time marked by bad news. Poverty was rampant, and people were starving for food and for good news. It is in this context that Jesus boldly proclaims the gospel, the good news, that there is a kingdom that is more powerful than Caesar's. Jesus proclaims that that kingdom, the kingdom of God, is here. In Jesus' time, as in ours, there are stories that dominate the way we think. And Jesus came to say that the way we have always looked at the world and the way we have always done things is not the only way. In fact, there's a much better way. Jesus challenges the dominant narratives of both his time and ours. So one of the reasons we need to keep telling and retelling these gospel stories is because we need to be reminded that we are a people who are a part of a better and more beautiful story than the one the world is telling. We need to tell the sacred stories again and again because they reinforce this better story and inspire us to dream bigger dreams and to think creatively about our lives and our choices. These sacred stories help us to remember that we are not subjects in Caesar's empire. We are members of God's kingdom, a kingdom that is based on love, on justice, on mercy, and on grace. Now, I don't know about you, but I get tripped up by the word kingdom. Kingdoms sound like something out of fairy tales or ancient patriarchal systems of government. And last week, I heard Martin Luther King Jr.'s I Have a Dream speech multiple times, and so I have found some resonance this week in thinking of God's kingdom as God's dream coming true. 
Our hope is not found in the political structures and systems of this world. Our hope is found in God's dream. Jesus is here to proclaim the good news that God's dream isn't just something we hope for in the future. It has already come true. But in order to fully live into that dream, we're going to have to make some changes. We're going to have to repent, which literally means to turn around. We need to turn away from our old narratives, our old habits, and our old ways of doing things. We're going to have to turn from those old stories and old habits in order to embrace something new. We're going to be hearing a lot of Matthew in the coming months, and we should all pay careful attention because Matthew has a lot to teach us about God. The message of this gospel is as simple as it is complex. God is love. God is good. God brings light into darkness. God brings life to the dead. God fulfills God's promises. God keeps God's word. God is a source of love, healing, compassion, mercy, and forgiveness. And God loves each one of us. God's dream is rooted and grounded in love. And not love as some wishy-washy or sentimental feeling either. God's dream is rooted and grounded in a love that has the power to change the world. God's dream for our world looks very different than our earthly political systems. It looks different than our empires. The point is not to try to force our earthly political systems to look more like God's dream by declaring that we live in a Christian nation or insisting that politicians say Merry Christmas. And the point is not to simply withdraw from all the systems of the world and live separately waiting for Jesus to come again. The point, I think, is to recognize the signs of God's dream and to work to help them flourish wherever we may find them. Does it sound good? Should I just lay out all the signs of God's dream for us and then we can roll up our sleeves and get to work? Well, to do that, I think, is to miss an essential step. Because before we can get to work, we need to know who we are and why we are doing this work. We need to start by remembering that we are God's beloved. We need to remember that we have worth and value and dignity, not because we think we do, not because other people think we do, but because the God who created the universe and each one of us declares that we do. Remember that you are beloved. Remember that you are beloved. Remember that you are beloved, and then we can start looking for signs of God's kingdom. Remember that you are beloved, and then we can begin to know what it means to be called blessed. Our text today is part of a larger passage commonly referred to as the Sermon on the Mount, because Matthew begins this section by telling us that Jesus went up on a mountain and ends it by telling us that Jesus came back down. Today's gospel, it's pretty simple, right? <laughs> Today's gospel reading is commonly referred to as the Beatitudes. It's a collection of eight poetic statements following a set literary form. A beatitude begins with a declaration of blessing, followed by the naming of a virtue, followed by an appropriate reward. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Beatitudes are found all through the Old and New Testament and in all types of biblical writing. There are beatitudes in Deuteronomy, in Psalms, and in Revelation. And it is significant that the Sermon on the Mount opens with beatitudes. These blessings are grounded in God's dream for the world, which runs counter to the ways of the world. These blessings set the stage for Jesus' message that he has come to bring about a new way of being in the world. 
one that is both here and not yet here. Jesus, by speaking these words of blessing, is setting the stage for a new way of seeing things and for a new way of being in this world. The Beatitudes name our aches and our longings and let us know that God meets us in the struggles of our lives. Remember the original context in which Jesus is speaking. Israel was being occupied, and it was a difficult time filled with political upheaval, with conflict and economic uncertainty. People were uncertain of how to respond to an occupying government that did not seem to have their best interests at heart. Many of them were afraid. Many of them were discouraged. Many of them were angry. Sound familiar? And it is in that context that Jesus speaks these blessings. Jesus is saying, no one is left out of God's blessing, no matter who you are or what you have done. The Beatitudes name the illusions and distortions that multiply multiply pain in our lives, the broken systems and structures that are built on those deceptions. We do not live in a world that is characterized by peace and agape love. Rather, we live in a world that tends to be characterized by greed and selfishness and, and individualism. Or do we? Jesus speaks into our reality saying, you think you live in a world of scarcity where you have to be greedy and miserly with your possessions, but you don't. You live in a world of abundance. You think you live in a world where pain is too hard to face and so you have to run away from it. And Jesus is saying, no, I will meet you in your pain and if you sit with it, you will find the care and comfort you need. Jesus challenges the reigning assumptions most of us hold. Jesus is saying there's a different way of seeing things, and if you learn to see the world the way I see it, you will learn to respond to these situations in a new way. You will learn to live into my dream for this world, a dream that has already and is continuing to come true every day. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Poverty means not having enough, not having the things you need to survive, Throughout scripture, we see that God has a soft spot for people who are materially poor, who lack the basic things they need to live. In this verse, however, Jesus also tells us that in addition to care for those who experience material poverty, God also cares for those who experience poverty of spirit. Where in your life do you feel like you don't have enough or you are not enough? Is that your bank balance? Do you fear you don't have enough money to survive and share generously with others? Is it in your relationships? Do you fear that if people knew who you really are, you'd face rejection? Is it in your sense of political advocacy? Are you feeling discouraged by current events while also feeling powerless to do anything about them? When we don't feel like we have enough, our tendency is to shut down and close ourselves off from other people, to hoard what we have. Our sense of not having enough can lead us to be fearful and greedy and anxious. But with this blessing, Jesus is asking us to embrace the truth that we are cared for by an abundant provider, to unclench our hands, to take the bars off our hearts, and to lean into a new way of thinking that says, I am beloved, I have enough, and I am enough. To believe this requires that we let go of control. It requires us to trust, and it's not an easy thing to do. For most of us, it's not something we can do instantly either. Our old patterns and ways of seeing things are deeply entrenched, and many of us have good reasons to be fearful, to believe in scarcity, and to resist the idea of letting go of control in order to trust in God. And that's okay. 
We need to be gentle with ourselves and with others, and we need to be honest about the reasons that we hold these fears, because if we don't, any change we made wouldn't be authentic anyway. You might not be ready to make a complete 180-degree turn right now, but perhaps you can lean slightly into this new direction. Jesus declares, Blessed are the poor in spirit. Lord, help us lean into postures of trust and abundance. Blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. When we face the brokenness in our world and inside of ourselves, it's painful, it's scary, and many of us invest a great deal of time and energy making sure we never have to go there. We look for things, anything really, to distract us from our pain and to numb ourselves into forgetting, even if only for a moment, that all that pain is there. We live in a world that gives us an impressive array of resources to employ when we avoid our pain. When you look out at the world, what breaks your heart? When you look inside yourself, where do you feel pain? Jesus doesn't promise us that we can avoid pain. Rather, Jesus is inviting us to stop running from the pain and to face life with all its beauty and all its horror, and that if we have the courage to sit with our pain, comfort will also come. Let us face our pain. Let's sit and weep and wait for comfort. Jesus says... Blessed are those who mourn. Lord, lead us in the way of lament. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. Meek is not a synonym for weak. The Greek philosopher Aristotle defined meekness as the middle ground between the extremes of excessive aggressiveness and excessive passivity. The world teaches us that life is competition. It's me against the world. It's kill or be killed. Some of us fight our way to the top, and some of us have learned to live with a sense that we deserve our place at the bottom. And Jesus challenges both ways of thinking. Jesus declares that we are all God's beloved, we are all equals, and we all deserve to be treated with dignity and respect. And when we live into this new reality, it just makes sense for us to see not only our own worth, but the worth of every human being. It makes sense for us to live with humility, to listen to each other, and to love each other. How have you been caught in the trap of competition, feeling less than or greater than the people around you? Jesus says, blessed are the meek. Lord, lead us in the way of humility. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be filled. Lord, I am so hungry for righteousness. When I look at our world, I see a system that is so broken, and I want it to be different, and I'm terrified it never will be. Where do you hunger and thirst right now for a different and better world? Where do you feel that ache? When we think about all that is broken, it's so easy to fall into either blame or despair. Blame says, this must be someone's fault. It can't be mine, so it must be yours. Despair says, it doesn't matter whose fault it is. Nothing is ever going to change. Might as well just stay home and watch Netflix. But Jesus says you are the light of the world, and you have agency and power to choose to do good, to help bring about God's dream on earth, and to make the world a better place. So today, let's hunger and thirst for righteousness. Let's ache for change, embrace our power, and act. I have been sick all week, sick physically and also sick emotionally. I have a cold, and I'm also hungry and thirsty for righteousness. So I got my Kleenex, and I got my tea, and I got my blanket, and I watched a whole lot of Netflix. But as I watched, I also knit a hat. 
And tomorrow I'm going to put that hat and a note of encouragement in the mail for a friend in the United States, a friend who is also hungry and thirsty for righteousness, but when she looks at the state of her country, she is feeling helpless and paralyzed. I want to remind her that she is God's beloved. I want to remind her that she is not alone. And I want to remind her that she is not powerless. Is it going to change the world? I mean, it's a hat and a note. Probably not. Was it worth doing? I think so. Jesus declares, blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. Lord, lead us in ways of justice. Jesus says, blessed are the merciful, for they will be shown mercy. When someone hurts me, my first wish is that they will pay for what they have done. And when I fail others, I feel I deserve to be punished. I think I prefer the eye-for-eye approach to justice than the the turn-the-other-cheek method Jesus endorses. When others fail me, I'm tempted to sit in judgment and resentment. And when I fail others, I'm tempted to sit in shame and punish myself. But when I lean into God's dream instead of the world's systems, I get to experience grace. I'm invited to let go of judgment, to release the need to punish or be punished. I get to look at myself and others through the eyes of tenderness and compassion. And I start to see that I have been given so much more than I deserve. And I begin to wish the same for those around me, even people who have hurt me. Jesus declares, blessed are the merciful. Lord, lead us in the ways of compassion. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they will see God. One of the things I really love about watching little kids open presents is that they haven't learned to hide their true feelings. When they open a gift, you know exactly how they feel about it. It's only later that they're going to learn to mask their disappointment and pretend they like the socks and underwear, or to temper their joy at the perfect gift so that people won't know they have a favorite. Their reactions are pure. It's only as we grow that we learn to hide parts of ourselves from others and live a divided life. What are the thoughts and feelings, needs and longings that are inside of you right now? Are you hiding them, afraid they aren't worthy of expression? Our creator sees them and holds them with great tenderness. Our God sees those part of you, parts of you that you hide from the world and still calls you beloved. Jesus declares, blessed are the pure in heart. Lord, lead us to integrity and wholeness. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called the children of God. It's so easy to feel insecure about who we are and to try and build up our own sense of self by identifying with a particular group of people, maybe people who look like us or think like us or live near us. If our identification with a particular group is rooted in our insecurities, then it's easy to also develop a posture of us versus them and to begin to both fear and alienate anyone who is different. Who have you tended to put on the other side of us versus them? People of a different race? People who express their sexuality in a way that is different from yours? People who vote differently, spend their money differently, or dress differently than you do? We all do it, no matter how virtuous we want to be, and the challenge when we discover that once again we've fallen into us versus them thinking is to acknowledge it, to repent, which remember just means to turn around, and to try to live differently going forward. Jesus boldly declares there are no sides, that we are all beloved sons and daughters of the God who created each one of us. Jesus invites us to see beyond our own fears and insecurities and to learn to see the beauty in a life lived with others. Jesus invites us to see the beauty in our diversity and to work to live together in peace. Jesus says, blessed are the peacemakers. Lord, lead us in the way of peace. 
Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. We hope doing good will bring happiness and blessing, but it doesn't always. Doing good can lead to persecution, and it can lead to suffering. Where are you experiencing suffering or difficulty in your life right now because you made the right choice? Where are the places where you are afraid to do the right thing because it could result in pain? Jesus doesn't promise us that we are able to avoid that pain that comes from making right choices, but Jesus does promise that God can meet us in every difficulty we face for choosing to do what is right and good. Jesus doesn't promise a pain-free life, but we do see that there will not only be pain, there will also be blessing. Jesus knows that suffering was inevitable, but not final, and he knew and lived the mystery of the paradox of the life that comes through death. So we don't need to be afraid of suffering and death. God is with us in every experience of our lives, and we can hope in the life after this life. Jesus declares, blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake. Lord, lead us in the way of sacrifice. The Beatitudes are meant to challenge us and encourage us, to comfort us and conflict us. They show us the paradox of living in two worlds at the same time, and they show us that whenever we pray, as we do here each week, the Lord's Prayer, your kingdom come on earth as it is in heaven, just what that's supposed to look like. Malcolm Geith describes the Beatitudes as a lifting of the veil between this world and the world Christ came to bring. So I'm going to close by reading the words of his poem, Beatitudes. We bless you who have spelt your blessings out and set this lovely lantern on a hill, lightening darkness and dispelling doubt by lifting for a little while the veil. For longing is the veil of satisfaction and grief the veil of future happiness. We glimpse beneath the veil of persecution the coming kingdom's overflowing bliss. Oh, make us pure of heart and help us see amongst the shadows and amidst the morning the promised comforter alive and free, the kingdom coming and the sun returning, that even in this pre-dawn dark we might at once reveal and revel in your light. Amen. You've been listening to a St. Benedict's Table podcast. For more information on our church or to provide support for our online work, visit us at stbenedictstable.ca.